0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Make sure my phone is turned off here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to talk to you about the second coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. This is something that the Apostle Paul takes up in his letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, Sometimes within Christianity, the second coming or eschatology is is sometimes the great, uh, nobody likes to get into, well, when I was a kid, there were a lot of things called prophecy conferences. anybody ever been to a prophecy conference where all week long the the sermons and preaching were on prophecy? Only Valerie raised her hand, so. Uh, Jim Ackerman did it back there, I see. The second coming, my dad used to have this guy come up and preach for him every year named Pete McGuire from Texas. And uh, Pete was a, he couldn't hear a word. He was deaf just stone deaf and uh it was really weird talking to him at our house over supper time. because you say well i never talked to him because talking to preachers is not something i like to do when i was a kid and uh but he my dad would talk to him and i hear my dad just get louder and louder and louder and he would just smile at my dad you know and say i don't know brother i don't know and so but i can remember uh, him talking about the second coming of jesus and i was just like what is the big deal why, why, do I, why should I care about this at all? And then I became a Christian, and I still thought sometimes, you know, why do we have to worry about it? I mean, we're going to live, we're going to die, etc. But the longer I've been a Christian, the more I've come to look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. I've wanted him to come. For a time in my life, I would, my dad would always talk about, watch the Middle East. And that's when you'll know when the Lord's going to return, when stuff is happening over there. Well, when I was a kid, we had a Gulf War, desert storm. Remember that? Desert shield, desert storm. And all the preachers said, Babylon is rising. That's Baghdad, is ancient Babylon. Iraq is Babylon. They're coming and all this stuff, you know, it's going to be a great war. And I was at a revival meeting and the pastors said, every young man here who's a teenager, stand up. And we all stood up. And they said, you guys are all going to be called to go to war in this final global conflict. And, man, as a kid, I was just like, I was scared to death. Because I wanted to be a soldier, but I didn't want to fight or die. (laughs) 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 I just wanted to wear camouflage every day and have a gun, you know. (laughs) So, um, but then, you know, we whipped them. Oh, we beat the dog out of them, you know, and... And then it was over. So all this hype, done. And then you had, you know, 9-11 came. Again, now the global war on terror. Lots of stuff happening there. Lots of things. And so, but over time, because of all these false alarms about the second coming of Christ, I don't even think about it anymore. Sometimes my, my dad will share stuff with me or send me an email. It'll be something that's happening, happening over in Israel, and I'll get it. And, you know, this is happening. Like recently, somebody sent me an email and said that the, the, uh, the, the Israeli Temple Institute, which is the institute that's trying to get everything ready for the fourth temple that they say is going to be built on the, on the Mount of Iraq, not, not, not the Mount of Iraq, but on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, etc., that they finally have succeeded in breeding red heifers. Now, red heifers are obviously female cows who have never been bred, and they're all red-haired with no white on them anywhere. And they say, you know, kind of once the red heifers have been perfected, then there's going to be this big sacrifice that's going to take place, and you know the second coming is going to take place. And when I got that email, I read it, and with my great indifference to it, trash. Because to me, it's just another false alarm. Now, I don't know what's happening, to, if to if, if, I don't know if that's the right way to be or not. But I can understand why the unbeliever begins to hear Christians talk about the second coming, second coming, second coming. I can understand why the unbeliever says, you know, your guy Jesus has been talking about coming for 2,000 years. Look, if I tell you I'm coming to your house, if I go out to visit Frank and Josie at their place, if I say, Frank, I'm coming over tomorrow at 3.00. And 2,000 years later, I haven't showed up. <laughs> they probably gave up a long time ago. So I can understand why people are scoffing. And they say, hey, Jesus had not come yet. When's he coming? And you say, well, he's coming, and it's been 2,000 years, and he's just waiting on the right time. And, he, and People say, yeah, I don't know. 2,000 years, he's not coming. And so I can understand those, that, that feeling, that thought process. And hopefully today, in the this sermon, I can tell you why he's been waiting around. Not why he's been waiting around. That's too, that's too disrespectful. I can tell you why he has delayed his coming. I'm going to try to help you be glad he's delayed his coming. And then hopefully I can make you happy that he is coming, finally. Now let's take a reading here from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. And I'll give you this sermon. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We trust the Lord to add his blessing to the reading of his word. The second coming of Christ is a fundamental of the Christian faith. To be Christian means that you think about and are interested in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ came the first time from heaven. He was the eternal word and the an eternal spirit, the Logos, John 1.1. And He is the Creator. Colossians 1 tells us this. Colossians 1 also tells us that Jesus is the Creator of the world because He is God. And He's not only the Creator, but He is the Sustainer of the world because He holds everything together by His power. The only thing that keeps this universe and world from malfunctioning or going awry or imploding It's because Jesus Christ is superintending everything that you can imagine. He is keeping all things going by His great power. Now, you guys know how that works. Have you ever worked for a company where there was one person who made it all go? Maybe a small family business, and then that person passes away or retires, and the business just fails without them. You ever seen that kind of thing happen? We know how how that can be. And Christ, the Almighty, is keeping the whole world. All things consist by His power. Now, Jesus came the first time into the world. The Bible says that God prepared a body for Him. Jesus came into the world the first time to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life. Jesus never sinned in thought, word, or deed. He lived a sinless life. And then, when He was 33 years old, he went to a place called Calvary, he died on the cross, and on the cross, God put upon Jesus all the sins, the collective guilt of everyone who would ever believe, and then on the cross, with Jesus as the sin bearer for those sins, God crushed Jesus on the cross as the guilty one. Now, I'm going to illustrate this to you if, if I can, and I'm going to have... Uh, well, Mitchell I've been here a long time. Mitchell, will you help me out? Do you mind? Come on, here, come here, help me out for a second. This is my oldest son, Mitchell. Mitchell has helped me many times in sermons, haven't you, Mitchell? Yeah. Even, even one time, a long time ago, when he was smaller, I had him. I was talking about trust, trust, and I had Mitchell leap from the pulpit to me, and I caught him. <laughs> Ready to jump again? Sure. <laughs> no. But in, in the Jewish culture, in the, in, that, in the economy of the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system, men would bring their, 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 their firstborn or the very best lamb they had to the tabernacle. The very best. And they would, they would look it all over for perfection. Then they would bring it as an offering and the priest would take it. And then the priest would put his hand upon the head of the lamb and he would confess all of the sins of the people onto the lamb, transferring the guilt of the nation onto the lamb. And then once the lamb became the sin bearer, they would kill it. And it would die as the, the one who bears the guilt. Dying so the people wouldn't die. Now you can be seated Mitchell. Thanks for helping me out. He would die in the place of. But there was also another lamb there. Same quality, same value. Come here, Lacey. Come help me out. <laughs> Caught him talking. <laughs> the, sec, the second lamb was called the scapegoat. They would take the blood of the offering and put it on the scapegoat. And to illustrate something, a person... Let's have Matt come help me out. The whole family. <laughs> we'll get Valerie up here in a second. And so, so a person would take the sin-bearing sin lamb... And to show that the sin and the guilt was taken away from the people, he would lead the lamb away. All the way. That's far enough. You guys can be seated. (laughs) He would lead the lamb away to show that the guilt of the people, that record of sin, wasn't around them anymore. It had been atoned for by the blood of the sacrifice and then taken away. Now, my dad, when he would tell this story, he would always get very dramatic, and he would talk about they would post a man way out at the edge of the village, at the edge of the encampment. And when that sheep had gone completely out of sight, he would wave a flag that said, it's gone. And my friends, that's what Jesus Christ did. He bore the believer's guilt upon himself when he died in the believer's place. And the Bible tells us that the sins... Have been of, of man have because of Christ have been put behind God, He's removed them as far as the east is from the west, taken away our guilt from us, and that's what Jesus Christ came into the world to do. And my friends, I want each one of you to know this today is that every one of you is a sinner. You may not like that kind of direct accusation, but every one of you are guilty of sin. Not before me, not before this church, not before this community or this nation, but you are guilty of sin before God. And if you'll be honest with yourself, you know it's true. Because we've all done a little stretching of the truth. We've all indulged ourselves mentally in forbidden sins. We are sin, we are unrighteous people. And no matter what sins you've committed, I want you to know this. No matter the breadth, your kindergarten level sins, schools fixing to start, we got kindergarten level sins, don't we? Then we got high school level sins. Then we got college level sins, grad school level sins, and then they got the sins that all of you and I <laughs> the sins that you and I do. Those really good ones. All of those sins, by, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, all of your sins will be forgiven. Now that seems too good to be true. It just You're like, I don't know how people are. I just don't see how that can be. You mean an act of faith can remove all my sins from my record permanently? Yes. And that can happen because of the value of the person who died to pay for your sins. I said to you already, Jesus Christ is God and that he did what at the beginning of all things? I said, Jesus is the... Come on, class. He's the creator. And I said, he's the sustainer. He keeps it all going, didn't I? That is who became flesh and died on the cross for your sins. In a very real sense, God died on the cross for your sins, so that your sins could be forgiven. Now, what kind of value does the blood of God have? Now you say, well, I don't know if it was God's blood, Acts 20, you can read it there, that he has, it says, "God hath purchased the church through His own blood." What kind of value think God's blood has? It has the ability and power to forgive all of your sins, to wash away all of your sins if you put your faith in him. Now, my friends, that's what Jesus Christ came into the world the first time to do, is to save sinners. Sinners like you and sinners like me. Jesus died on the cross. He didn't stay dead, though, did he? On the third day, he rose from the grave. And then he was alive on the earth for 40 days. The Bible says he was seen by 500 people at one time. We have the, the testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is as bulletproof as the existence of Julius Caesar, of Nero, of King Agrippa, of Pontius Pilate. The, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christ is so powerful that when people are presented with it, it's either they have to say, okay, Jesus did not rise from the dead, and I can't believe anything else in history either. Well, they have to admit it is possible that Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus rose from the dead. And then he did something <laughs> really out there. You think he rise from the dead was something. He, this, is even, this is even more incredible. He ascended bodily into heaven. Now, I've always been curious about these people, these magicians who do levitation. You ever seen them levitate? They lift themselves up, you know. The only person I've seen really that I thought maybe was levitating was Michael Jordan. (laughs) But even he wasn't the biggest jumper around. I mean, it's incredible. Jesus ascended into heaven bodily in the sight of people. It wasn't a secret thing in the middle of the night. No, in the middle of the daytime, surrounded by people, Jesus ascended into heaven. And he sits on the throne in heaven. As the eternal testimony that the sins of all who believe in him are paid for. But before he went in John 14, Jesus said, If I go, I'm going to get a place ready for you, and I'm going to come again. Jesus is going to come again. He's going to return to this world. He promised this. And the the Apostle Paul's letters bring it up all the time. Jesus is going to return. It's called eschatological hope. Jesus is going to return. But as I said already at the front front of the sermon, why why is he taking so long? Why is he taking so long? And in fact, you'll really have a problem with that if you read Revelation chapter 1, where Jesus says to John, I will come quickly. Or I will come soon. So, can soon mean 2,000 years? That's an interesting idea, isn't it? Why is he delaying? Doesn't the delay of Jesus in returning start to make him and us who believe in it look silly? Well, it would be silly if there wasn't a really good reason for him to delay his coming. Now, how many of you guys ever go fishing? All the Christians. <laughs> now, have you ever been fishing and pulled the bait out of a fish's mouth? You can, pull, you can set the hook too quickly and pull it away from them. So you got to learn that little, I don't know, millisecond of delay. That way the hook is in there far enough that when you pull on it, it'll come up and get them in the lip, you know. Or you could do what I do and let them, you know, once you feel a bite, you just wait an hour. And they swallow it down, gets in their lower intestine, and then you got them. <laughs> you have to, there's a reason to wait. Now, sometimes when I was a kid, my dad my dad would have me, want me to help him do something. And I'd be all ready to do it. He'd say, well, we got to wait. Well, why have we got to wait? We had to wait for the right Time of the day sometimes. Way to wait for the right, uh, the right wind, state, wind, you know, wind situation. You're waiting on just the right time. Well, God is Jesus is delaying his return for a reason. Now, Jesus died on the cross and ascended back to heaven about 2,000 years ago. If Jesus had returned 100 years later, how many of you would be saved? none of you would be saved. None of you would be saved because you didn't exist 1,900 years ago. And I know you feel old <laughs> because sometimes I feel old, but I wasn't around 1,900 years ago at all. I didn't pre-exist in space either as a, as a, a disembodied spirit. That view is called traducianism and it's a, it's a theological error. I didn't begin to exist myself until... Sometime in 1977, when my mother and dad conceived me, I began to exist then. So if Jesus had come 100 years after he ascended to heaven, I would not be saved. Because I would not have existed. You may say, well, you wouldn't have needed saving me because you didn't exist. True. But when God created the world, when God began to do his creative acts, he purposed before the foundation of the world that there was going to be everything. Everything. And the reason why Jesus did not come 100 years after his ascension, 200 years, 300 years, 400 years, 500 years, 600 years, 2,000 years, and why he hasn't come yet today is because all of the people who he has foreknown and foreloved from eternity haven't lived they haven't been born and born again yet. So in a very real sense, Jesus Christ did not come in 1923 because, because he wanted all of us to be saved. Jesus has delayed his coming for you. He's been putting off his return So you could be born, so you could grow, so you could come to understand the gospel. He's put it off for you. He's waiting, waited for you. Now I got saved in 1993, which I don't know how long ago that was because my math skills are very poor. But I guess that's 30 years ago. I said that because I heard somebody whisper it out, 30. <laughs> I got saved 30 years ago. And I want to say this to you, is I'm awful happy the Lord didn't come back 31 years ago. In fact, I got saved August twenty 1993. And we're coming up on that real soon, 10 days from now. I'm very happy that the Lord did not come 31 years ago because I was alive and if he came back and I wasn't a believer, I wouldn't be able to be saved. I'm toast. It's over. But the Lord delayed his coming. And I got you. it. If, you, if you're here and you've been saved after 1993, would you say amen? Aren't you glad? <laughs> Aren't you glad you've come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have your sins forgiven? God's been delaying His coming for us. Now, you say, well, what's I got to do with the sermon today? Jesus is not going to return until everybody who's supposed to be saved is both born and born again. And I don't mind if He waits either. Even if it means that I got to die, get sick and die, because I have a lot of loved ones. People I care about. Who haven't come to faith in Christ yet. And I'm willing to wait. I want to wait so that my kids can all be saved. And if there's any grandchildren in my future, I want them all to be saved. And great-grandchildren. I mean, I, I, I'm, Lord, if you're going to wait a hundred more years... So that other people can be saved, because so your plan can be fulfilled, then I say, I say, Amen. Now, I think that is, you know, it's like the Lord's up there in heaven saying, Well, Terry's okay with it, so we're gonna go with that. <laughs> I mean, it looks to me like that's how it's been working out. The Lord has been delaying his coming because all of his people he's determined to save in eternity, they haven't been around yet they haven't existed yet the delay of Christ's return is for a purpose and so while you and I are getting awful frustrated sometimes with the way the world is and we want him to come and get us out of here realize there's a purpose in his workings my friends you've got to learn to trust God you see these little signs we we're, were driving back from Mackinac City last night we went up there and ate, ate dinner and we were driving back down the, the, the road, and we saw different road signs. And one of the kids started singing; was like singing the road signs they were reading. Kids. And I I see these signs around all the time and say, "God's got it." You guys see no signs? God's got it. You know, and that's and that's a true statement. God's got it. He's got the whole world in His hands. He's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, I don't remember the next part. (laughs) So, you got to learn to trust God. And I'm going to tell you something. God's going to work it out so that you have no choice but to trust him. He's going to take away every solution you can come up with and say, I'm your only recourse here. Because you've put your, if you put your trust in the government, what are they going to do? <laughs> well, we all know the answer to that question. You put your trust in your money, what's it going to do? Well, money can, answer a lot. money can solve a lot of problems and grease a lot of skids. Money is so nice. But you'll wind up like... Mr. Uh, Stephen Jobs, pancreatic cancer, a billionaire at 30 years old, in his late 50s, died with pancreatic cancer, and all the money in the world can't save his life. And, when I, and look, friends, we're talking about a guy who has access to every single possible thing imaginable. And he, money ain't going to do it. He say, well, you know, I got my family. Your family's not going to let you... Your family will let you down. They won't be there when you need them to be. They might even be around, you know. You may not have a family. I mean, it's just... You'll, you need to put your trust in God. Trust God. And start by trusting Jesus as your Savior. Because if, you've had, if you trust Jesus as your Savior and all your sins are forgiven... Your biggest problem in life has been taken care of. Your soul has been secured. That's your biggest problem. Your soul has been secured, yet you're going to have to learn to trust God. And so while we're waiting around here, we're trusting that God is at work. Now, my friends, we were talking about this at a board meeting recently, about how in the world Christianity is growing everywhere except America. everywhere but america in fact the statistics are this that in 2011 62 and a half percent of americans said i'm a christian 2011 2020 i'm sorry it's 2011 and 92% of americans said they were christian 2020, at 62%. Now, they're predicting that by 2050, less than half of America are going to claim to be Christian by 2070. Great Britain, which if you got a Bible in your hand, an English Bible, that came to you from England. Britain was the Bible publishing powerhouse of the world. All roads lead back to England. In Christianity, it's crazy how it works. They are right now at 46% of people are Christians. But in countries like Mexico, Thailand, China, Korea, the Philippines, the numbers are just going up, 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 up. Isn't that great? Amen? Amen. See, we got to learn not to say, oh, well, America is going south. But the gospel is still growing. The kingdom of God is still getting bigger. You got to trust God with these things. So if the Lord comes back and gets all of us Americans out of the 2024 election, <laughs> well, what about all those precious people in other countries who are not yet? come to faith in Christ, who are going to be. We have to learn to trust God. The delay is for a glorious purpose. He delays His coming for the salvation of sinners. Now let's examine this text, and we'll be done. i got to look at my clock here. I didn't turn by. 130, we're good. The first thing I want you to notice in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 5 is the return of Christ believers know the Lord is coming. And he said it's going to come without warning, like a thief in the night, but who is going to be surprised by the return of Christ? Look at the text carefully. It doesn't say Christians are going to be surprised by it. It says the unbeliever is going to be surprised by it because I just told you Jesus is coming, didn't I? Right? How many of you walked in here this morning and you had an idea in your mind you knew that Jesus is supposed to come again. Would you say amen? amen? I mean, that's almost everybody. Jesus is going to return, and he's not going to catch you and me unawares because when I'm out there fishing and I hear the trumpet sound, which I hope that's how I go, preaching or preaching or fishing, I don't care. I'll wave at you guys as I go up. <laughs> <laughs> when the Lord comes... I'm gonna know. I know what that horn is. I'm out of here. But there will be unbelievers all around the world who'll be like, "Yesterday at four o'clock, we had this mystic phenomenon. You know, this big, big sound went across the world. Scientists say it was, you know, the ice things. You know, they got the right tune, and there'll be some kind of made-up reason for it. But you and I will know. Jesus will know." Now, Jesus illustrates this for us in Luke 17 when he says, As it were in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage when Noah went on the ark. So when Noah and his family are loading up on the ark, and all those animals are going two by two and seven by seven into the ark, and the people are like, look at that. What is Noah's doing over there? Loading up a bunch of livestock? What are they doing? Well, we got to go down to the wedding. Got to go over to so and so's house. We got a party where to go to. There are the signs, the loading up, and they're just like, no big deal. And then the floods came. And then there's Lot in Luke 17 as well. Lot, the angels come and they say, Lot, we got to get you out of Sodom and Gomorrah because God's fixing to pour down fire from heaven on this place. He's going to destroy this place. The only people who cared about that message was Lot. His neighbors didn't care. His sons-in-laws didn't care. Nobody cared because they were secure. What were they secure in? They were secure in their unbelief. And people all around us are secure in their unbelief because they don't believe the gospel, because they don't believe the Bible, because they don't believe in Jesus or anything like that. They're secure in their unbelief. They're stupefied. They're insulated against it. And as Paul says here, they are in the dark. Have you ever been in the dark about some information? ever walk into your job, you know, and find out you got a pink slip? and That happened to me one time. And you're like, what's going on? <laughs> they say, you know, they're, they're escorting people out. Last time I got laid off from a job, they escorted me out with a policeman. Because they were laying off everybody. I had no idea. It was news to me. And in the big meeting they had, the president of the company said, we're sorry, to have to, we're sorry about keeping all of you people in the, in the dark. <laughs> and I was so surprised to get laid off that day, just three weeks before Mitchell was born. You know, I lost my job. So Christians are not in the dark, we're in the light. The world around us, they're asleep at the wheel. They don't know what's coming but we do know what's coming. This is what Paul says. This is going to catch them by surprise, but not you. You are going to escape. Escape what? You're going to escape God's wrath. Look at the reading there. To you believers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the Lord's going to come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. They will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for for that day to surprise you like a thief. You're looking for it. You know it's coming. The return of Christ. It's going, he is going to return. And he's going to pour out his wrath. It's the only normal way to read this passage. He's going to come and deliver the Christians and then pour out wrath. Listen to Proverbs eleven twenty one. Be sure of this. The wicked will not go unpunished, but those who are righteous will go free. You are going to escape God's wrath for your sins, not because you are sinless, but because you have been declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. You've been justified. I want to stop and talk about this, but I don't feel like I have the time. But... How many of you guys got something? Ladies, do any of you have anything in the crock pot or the oven at home? We're good. Justification. When you put your faith in Christ, God declares you innocent of all your sins, even though you have committed sins and are currently committing sins. Because God has declared you just, you are just. Just like if the president gives a pardon and he pardons somebody who's done a dastardly deed, done a big crime, if he pardons them, they are free to go. Not because they're innocent, but because he has said they can't be punished for that. This is how justification kind of works. You have been justified before God. A declaration, Romans 8:33. Who can Who can lay anything to charge Of God's elect, it is God that justifieth, right? Now notice in verses 4 to 6, there's the reality of Christ's return. Christ is going to return. And this is a reality that we are aware of. My friends, you and I as Christians, the lights are on for us. We have knowledge other people don't. When I was an associate pastor at Hot Springs Baptist Temple in Hot Springs, Arkansas, we had a missionary come, and his name was Kyle Guyman. Kyle Guyman. Kyle Guyman was a physicist, a rocket scientist of some kind, and he worked for NASA in Houston. And he became a Christian when he was, uh, when he was down there in Houston. And he, became, he left NASA and became a missionary to Uganda, and then he died of cancer when he got to Uganda about 10 years later. But here, here is what he told us. He was talking about the second coming of Christ. And he said, you know, he ask us if we'd all seen the movie Deep Impact. You know, about the asteroid hitting the earth. And he talked about several, Armageddon. And he said, have you seen those movies that are about asteroids hitting the earth? Now, in that church, you didn't dare raise your hand. Because we weren't really supposed to have TVs. <laughs> but in this church, we could probably ask that. How many, have you ever seen a movie or a film or a show about an asteroid hitting the Earth and cooking us all? All right, that's a lot of people. He said the reason why that became popular is because all over the world, right now, NASA has set up observation points all around the planet and they're watching space for asteroids to hit us. Because when they're out there exploring space with their big micro not microscopes, telescopes, they saw these giant rocks coming for us and they wanted to be able to let everybody know, hey, a rock's fixing fixing to hit your neighborhood. You know? These alarm systems. And it wasn't that long ago, just maybe last year, they talked about one coming near us again. These rocks coming from space. And I remember sitting there, like on the front pew, you know, about where um, old Casey's sitting at. Not old Casey, old Casey, O L, apostrophe. I'm calling it old. Where <laughs> Miss Casey was sitting. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember sitting there thinking about it. And I thought, is he telling us that right now there could be a rock, a giant meteor headed for us? And it's out there, you know, a bazillion miles away. And just every day gets a little closer, a little closer, a little closer, a little closer, a little closer. A little closer, a little closer a little and then finally, you know, however long it takes them to get there, it's finally going to hit us, you know, 100 years from now, and we're all going to be toast. Or not, I'm not going to be toast. Somebody else will be. That's exactly what it's telling me. And then I got to thinking about what's it like to live with that kind of knowledge? Because that's top secret information. They don't share that kind of stuff. I'm sure that there are men and women right here in this room who have been involved in military service, and they know some stuff that if we knew it, it'd make our hair curl. This kind of knowledge, I mean, what's it like to live with that? We, we know what it's like to live with that kind of knowledge. When I was, uh, you know, Valerie and I, we used to watch this show called, uh, I don't know what it's called. Uh, you know when somebody dies and they cut your body open look inside you try to figure out what's wrong with you? What's that show called? It's an autopsy uh, CSI. We were watching that one night and a guy got punched in the back of the head in the show, and the guy who hit him was wearing a ring with a shark on it. had little shark fin sticking up. And there was a bar fight, you know, and you know, I wasn't going to bar fights back then, but not now either. <laughs> but this guy got punched in the back of the head, and they showed that that little fin on that ring opened the tissue in the back of his head and caused an internal brain breed. Blaine breed <laughs> a brain... <laughs> <laughs> caused him to bleed on the inside of his noggin <laughs> and he killed over dead a few days later and, I, and, and to them I was like yeah we know that's how they know. and I thought what's it like to be a doctor and have all that knowledge you know wake up in the morning if you're a well trained physician wake up in the morning have an ache somewhere in your body and, you, and start to self diagnose and think well I'm, I'm gone, I'm a goner You know, my aorta just blew up or or something. I mean, that kind of knowledge is just, I'm telling you that because I want you to know that we Christians, we live with knowledge other people don't have. We live with knowledge other people don't have. We know that there is a heaven and that there is a hell. We don't just know it, we believe it. We know Jesus is coming again. And the world around us, they have no idea. The hammer's hanging over them every day. In Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he said that we, that mankind, it's like we're all walking around over hell on a skin that's paper thin. And that any minute we could step through into the inferno, He described it as being a spider suspended from his web held over a fire. And the least little spark or least little heat could cause that web to melt and cause you to fall into the flames. That's the reality of every person who dares live without Jesus Christ as their Savior is they are in danger every minute. We live with that knowledge. We know it. Christians have been delivered from it. We know things the world does not know. We understand these things because we're in the day. We know he's going to come. Now this knowledge of Christ's return should have an impact on us. It should motivate us to take the gospel seriously in regards to other people. Nobody goes to heaven unless they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And nobody puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ unless, unless they hear about it. And who are they going to hear about it from? From their friends who are Christians. From their loved ones who are Christians. Our awareness of Christ's return is something that we know that other people don't. We should make people aware of it. You say, well, they're going to think I'm a crackpot. Look, if you knew what people really thought about you already... One of the the worst things you can do is read your kid's journal. (laughs) And I've never done it. But I guarantee, I was telling somebody this at the men's men's Bible study the other day. I was trying to illustrate uh, telling telling one of the kids know about something. And I said, and I don't know if this is true or not, and I don't want to know. I said, I bet my kids all have a group text that me and Valerie are not in where they when I do, when I make them mad about something, they say, "Dad's being a nanan again." But don't look at my kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know that's how people are, isn't it? It'd be it be crazy to expect something different. We're frustrating to people. This awareness that we have is something we have that the world does not know. I look at my clock. All right, we're gonna we're gonna land the plane. All in favor, say aye. I heard heard a a familiar voice say I real loud now only Christians can appreciate this the unbelieving world when you talk about this they'll they'll think you're crazy they're going to mock you but it is a truth it's the the truth of God's word And we accept it by faith now in verses 9 and 10 notice what the apostle says God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We avoid wrath, not because we don't deserve wrath. We avoid the wrath of God because Jesus Christ became sin for us who knew no sin and died in our place. We obtain, we obtain salvation and escape from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. So we've avoided this. Now, while we're waiting around, there's, some, there's something we need. Look at verse 11. While we're waiting on Jesus to come, we need, therefore, encourage one another and build excuse me, one another up. We need the local church. You need to come together with God's people and hear a message from God's word. You need the fellowship of these people. Because look, if, if you go out there and you start talking about forgiveness of sins, the exclusivity of the gospel, that Jesus is the only way, about the second coming, you're going to find that some of your your friends and family are going to go, well, they might pull away from you. They might pull away from you. You might lose a couple friends. But then every Sunday, you can go and assemble with people who may not be your blood relations, but they're your true family. These people in this room are the people you'll probably spend eternity with. But your friends and family, you may not. Unless they're Christians. So every week we come together here and we're reminded that we haven't lost our minds. We come together here and realize every week that we're not the only wackos around. I mean, there's nothing greater here than when I say, how many of you guys fish seeing those hands go up? (laughs) fellow pursuers of the fish you need we need the local church encouraging one another to come together and be reminded now look as i look around this room and there's people who are not here today and they're not here because they're sick and they're in they're in a bad way and there are people here in this room right now who are sick and they're in a bad way right now but we need the encouragement of one another love for one another I know this happens in this church is that when there are people who are, their, their, little, their little seats are absent, I know you guys are calling them up on the phone and saying, hey, are you okay? I missed you. Checking on one another, caring for one another, loving for one another, encouraging one another. You need the local church. You need the local fellowship of God's people to come together and be kind of built up. Now, the Greek word here for encourage is, is a word that means to repair or to restore. Because when we live out there in the world, we get chewed on a lot. We get roughed up. And we need restoration. You can find that in the local church. Then you have this great word here, comfort one another. Actually, in this translation, it's encourage one another. In the authorized version, it says comfort one another. This is the same word that's used in John 15 to describe the Holy Spirit. Parakletoi. Paracletas. Paraclete. Which means one called alongside. A comforter. Called alongside. Now, um, I'm going to switch off my microphone because I'm going to tell you something I don't want to be recorded, okay? Father, now the. I want every person here today to know that Christ is the only way of salvation. And I pray, Lord, that I've been able to do that. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring every person here to that place where they will believe that. That you would show them. And that they would call upon Christ. Show them their true condition, dear Lord. And Lord, there the rest of us are here who are Christians. We can get so distracted by other stuff that we don't think about your You're coming again. Help us to, like the Apostle Paul, love the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to look for it. And while we longingly look towards heaven, help us to trust your purpose in this world that we live in. Now for these things in Jesus' precious name.